iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You're listening to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Arsenal's fading title hopes are basically over after a humbling defeat at home to Brighton. But we'll talk about Roberto De Zerbi's side and their brilliant season, how far they could go if they get into Europe. We'll also discuss what has cost Arsenal the title. Leeds United got a vital point against Newcastle at home. We'll ask what Big Sam has done to change this team. A nightmare for Bamford and Junior Firpo. Can Leeds get themselves out of it? Aston Villa put in another good performance to come past Spurs, who now can't make the Champions League. What next for the side with Ryan Mason in charge? And could Unai Emery be on his way back to the Europa League and to another title in the competition? We'll talk about a vital point for Nottingham Forest at Chelsea and how Frank Lampard's changed his tune a little bit and, of course, reflect on Southampton's relegation from the Premier League after an 11-year stay. This is The Game. Hello, welcome back to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wisencroft alongside Alison Rudd. Tom Roddy is here, Gregor Robertson too. And we have to begin with disappointment for Arsenal. Of course we do. It was brilliant from Brighton, really, at the Emirates Stadium to win 3-0. But what were fading title hopes are now completely over, I think. Not mathematically done, but you can't see any other outcome than Manchester City uh, going to a fifth Premier League title in six seasons. Of course... City had a 3-0 victory over Everton at the weekend. That meant Arsenal needed to respond, but in front of their own fans, they just couldn't do it. In fact, their second-half performance uh, left a bitter taste in the mouth, as we saw in the thousands of departing Arsenal fans before full-time. City will win the Premier League title next Sunday in front of their own fans if they can beat Chelsea at home. That's even if Arsenal beat Nottingham Forest on Saturday. City will be confirmed without playing if the Gunners lose at Forest. So next week, I think we are going to probably be discussing how City won the title. So today, I think our first topic is going to be how Arsenal lost it, to be perfectly honest. Two wins in their last seven Premier League matches may, I think, add up to a collapse. But um, I think a lot of the talk is about how proud Arsenal fans are. We've had a brilliant season, etc., etc. And I wonder how much the rhetoric of Arsenal throwing the title away needs to be given some credence as well. Um, I think we'll do the overarching before we do the 90 minutes. Where where do you think Arsenal lost the title? Uh, Lack of depth, lack of experience of winning a title. 
they might just have started to believe the hype about them, which I think the fact that they didn't initially was their, their big plus point. Um, I don't think at the start of the season anyone thought this is going to be a two-horse race between City and Arsenal and they milked the slight underdog bit to that narrative and did that whole, as a unit, we can we can be greater than the sum of our parts because we've gone through bad times, we've had disappointments, they've stuck with the manager. I'm very grateful to be here, says Mikel, and they they pull together and give it their all. So it's partly giving... When you do that, you probably give too much in spurts rather than pace yourself through the season, which is what I mean by knowing how to win a title, which is that you don't just give it everything and then find yourselves petering out. Actually, I think they were lucky to stay in the race as long as they did because they were fortunate they didn't have too many injuries. And it was a period, I think, where they it was sort of spooky how few injuries they had given the lack of depth in the squad. So it's I'm not this is not surprising to anybody that it's going it is finishing with a slight whimper. They they weren't equipped really to match City at all. Um, and they ought to be they ought to feel fantastic about how they most of the season has gone I'm absolutely appalled that so many fans left early I mean that's that's right back to the you know 12 months ago 18 months ago when the you know the, the fans were actively part, um, part of a defeat because of their lack of backing for them I mean it's not over yet imagine I don't know there's a half a percent chance that if every fan had stayed put and yelled their support and treated that defeat like a victory, it might have caused a wobble over in Manchester. I I don't know. It just I people are going to say they bottled it because of that more than what's happened on the pitch. They just it's not about question of bottling it. It's just they were completely outclassed by a team that I think is overall run better than them. All right, let's give Brighton then some props, shall we? Because I think they were brilliant. And I'm going to come back to Arsenal in a little bit more depth in a moment. But as, as we're on it, outclassed, is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to say anything more that, like about how incredible this Brighton team is because they're so, so brave. Like it, that's I think that's what it all comes down to. The way We've spoken about the way they play and their tactics and, you know, inviting the press and, and I've the rotations Caicedo now is as a right back moving into midfield it's been Pascal Gross in the past um, always trying to get uh, overloads in, you know at the top end of the pitch um, basically not playing with a centre forward they drop in to be like two number 10s and the mm-hmm. wingers play for higher up pitch it's fascinating to watch all of it but it comes down to bravery and energy and kind of unity as well like what Deserbi's the real deal like what he's done to that team and there's always been this conversation about you know, he's, he's taken them on from from when Graham Potter was the head coach. He's transformed them. He's not just taken them on. He's like, they're a completely different team. They play with much more attacking intent and bravery. And uh, as you say, they, they outclassed them. A good stat in um, Bill Edgar's column today that, that in Brighton's last 18 matches against the Big Six, um, they scored 12 more goals than their opponents. And like, yeah, you know, look. Obviously, some of that will take in uh, Potter's time as well. But haven't they scored more goals away than Chelsea have scored in all total? Season, yeah. 
Yeah. That was another one, another one of Bill's nuggets, yeah. <laughs> I enjoy Bill's column in the morning. <laughs> Monday. Um, but uh, look, they're the real deal. And like you, the whole conversation now is about them getting picked off in the summer. But what if they don't? What if they What if they hold on to those players and add a few more as you know, as intelligently as they have in the past? What could they do from here? They're, they're not a silly football club, though, because they know their recruitment so good. If someone comes in and offers them ninety million pounds for a player they paid fifteen for, they're like, "All right, then we'll go and spend fifteen on the next guy, said or whoever it might be." They don't need to, though. They don't need to know. I, don't, I know they. I know they don't need to, but like I say, they're not a silly. No, football they're not. Club. They, they will, they will, <laughs> if they someone will offers them, offers five, them silly five, money, five, six times what yeah. they paid for a player, they'll take it. Maybe, but I also think they're wary of kind of running out of luck in terms of selling off, constantly selling off players. But Arsenal were, I think Brighton were the, one of the worst possible teams that Arsenal could have played yesterday because in the most important game for them, they were up against not only a brilliant team, but also a motivated team. You saw Deserby's celebrations with the knee slide because they're going for Europe, because they have the motivation of that. And I think the when you actually take into account, you just said, Gregor, about how Deserby coming in and transforming them, when you actually take into account what has happened this season, losing the coaching staff, losing um, Trossard, to, not just the manager, losing the whole coaching staff, losing... Trossard losing players last summer. I think it's up there with one of the best seasons for a club in 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 the Premier League history. I mean, uh, obviously n- nothing really surpasses Leicester, but they were they didn't really get derailed. Whereas this, w- what happened in September to Brighton, could have totally tripped them up, and it and it hasn't. They've just gone from strength to strength. They're the team of the season. Mm. They're not going to win the title. But they're the team of the season because of all that you've just said, plus the fact they're the team you'll pay money to watch. Mm. I would rather I would I would pay I'd pay quite a lot of money to watch a lot of Brighton, <laughs> whereas I wouldn't pay any money at all to watch the predictability of Manchester City. Brilliant though they are. It's I funny. Mean, it's funny. I mean, I, what, what, hold on. No, I mean I, I kind of understand what what Alison saying because I was thinking of this. Like I I said it the other week that I think they're the best team to watch in the in the Premier League. And then you think, you know, Liverpool at their peak are a joy to watch and thrilling to watch. Manchester City, the same. But there is something about the fact that they are not one of the big established clubs and yeah. they're, you know, they're, there, there's they're more shaking one, there, things up. There's, there's, there's more wonderment when it comes to Brighton. You're yeah. not as stunned by seeing Liverpool and Manchester City do great things. But it's also about the way they do it. It's like, uh, uh, you know, you, also, you often think, you know, there's different ways of playing, different ways of trying to take on the best teams. But this is fundamentally trying to kind of beat them at their own game almost in terms of dominating play is always going to be the best way because like when you're when you're hitting this, this these sort of heights, Arsenal like didn't know what to do. They didn't they had no they had no comeback. They had no no way of kind of dealing with their energy and their bravery. I keep coming back to that word, like from even from the goalkeeper. Like you saw the <laughs> that the, the pass yeah. just just evaded Shaka <laughs> and then they were on the attack. Um, and I keep I keep going back to when I watched them against Brentford the other week, and Ivan Tony was like playing cat and mouse with with Levi Colwell and like in the centre circle, and he, you know they, they were baiting them and saying, "Come on, I come remember, on, come yeah, on, come yeah, on!" Yeah, yeah. And I just remember sitting there thinking, "What am I watching here?" Yeah. Like 
I used to play as a defender and like if somebody asked me to do that I would have laughed in their face like <laughs> this is this feels like a different you know James Gearbrand wrote about this too it feels like a kind of counterpoint to pressing football which is like the, the dominant force in European football it has been for a good decade now it feels like it could be a, a counterpoint to it and they're like almost leading the way they're doing it more sort of jarringly than anyone else mm. I've seen it's a it's a totally an aside but it will be interesting to see if they do and they probably will lose at least one player this yeah. summer it'll be interesting to see how how they get on because Basuma went uh, Cucurella went neither of them have got near the expectation near the levels they were playing at at Brighton so is it is it the player in the system or is it the individual talent? It, it feels like it's more the system and the culture within the Trossard, club. Trossard played well initially yeah. for Arsenal, mm. although he didn't look great yesterday. No. No, it's a good point, yeah. Well, they got robbed as well for the, yeah. the third goal. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, I, I don't know, I think there, there is something to the, the player within the system. To be honest, I Absolutely, think yeah. some players when they when they arrived at Brighton, you kind of thought, what what have they, why have they signed this player? And they have improved, so it is a, a system that a player going into. We've seen very good results as well. So I, I thought they were absolutely great, but I kind of wanted to ask you guys if you think they'll be in Europe because you watch a game like that, you think, okay, they're definitely going to be in the top seven. I think they will be in the top seven. I'd like to, I'd love to see them in the Europa League top six finish but um, they've got tough games from here on out as good as they played against Arsenal they go away to Newcastle on Thursday it's a tough game okay they're at home to Southampton you imagine they'll win that game but then it's Manchester City at home and it's Villa away on the final day of course Villa you know in front of their own fans might be needing to win that game to get into Europe makes it a very very tricky game even though you'd say Brighton are probably the better team they're playing as well as anyone at the moment really Villa as well so but Brighton play better when they're playing tricky games don't they the, the, I mean Everton they get thrashed by Everton and that would be the one you'd say well that's three points in the bag as they on their quest towards European qualification so they'll probably win all the ones that are supposed to be tricky City could have won the league by then too so you're saying mm. 100% no of course 100%. you can't say 100% because it's a bonkers season <laughs> but I don't I don't think the fact those games are difficult on paper mean anything to Brighton it's tough it's tough for Brighton. If they play as well as they played yesterday, they're not going to have an issue, to be perfectly honest. But I do look at those fixtures and wish they were a little bit easier. We'll see where Roberto Deserbi can take them out. I, I enjoyed the celebration as well. Just kind of underlined, we've come here and... and, and he's, he's got, he's got I, that... I, I don't got want respect, order, I'm, I'm not he? respecting you guys. And, you know, he has given Brighton a little bit more ego, which I kind of like. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly... He's got a bit of edge, a yeah. bit of devilment. Like it, it may, you might kind of stray over the line, actually, if he, he has already. Mm, you know, mm. he's served a, a, a ban, touchline ban. But that's, that feels different too to, to what came before. So, you know, he's added that kind of, and a bit of belief. He keeps saying it. Like he said it, and everyone's been really kind of bashful and saying, well, Europe, maybe, you know, even Emery took him ages to to, yeah, to yeah. acknowledge that they're in the race for Europe. He's been saying it for months. Mm. No, this is what we want. Oh, he's a fantastic. I mean, you know, some managers are barely predictable what they're going to say in the post match press conference, but he, he, he's sarcastic. Yeah. He's, Rude. He's passionate. He's emotional. You know, he likes a difficult question. He likes a joke. He's he's fantastic. Mm. And we're talking about the idea that they could lose players. They could lose Roberto De Zerbi in the summer because we know he's got a lot of high-profile suitors. Well, that Spurs vacancy makes you does make you wonder that the temptation to go for him will be so high. Um, he wouldn't get on with Daniel Levy. 
No, no. He, you, you see it in the way he talks, don't you? He's, but he's got, he's got such an aura about him. He's the, he's, he's the total opposite to Graham Potter, which is fascinating. The way that that, the way that it has seamlessly transitioned um, at Brighton. But I, I can see him getting a top six job easily, and I think it, you can see the ambition within him as well. I don't, can't see it lasting too too long at Brighton I hope it does I hope he stays there one more season. season one more season one more season would be great I think one more season with all of them and a couple of additions yeah, who knows it's like, great what? it's great for us it's <laughs> great. seriously they're great no, but it's great for us and it's great for some kind of sports documentary or Hollywood movie but ultimately these managers you know they're hot yeah. for a minute and then they start to lose a few games and suddenly they're not as good as we thought they are and, and you know the I don't know Inter Milan's of this world or Barcelona's or whoever might be interested in him suddenly aren't there knocking down your door anymore. Managers are a bit savvy these days, so um, it'll be a big decision to stay at Brighton, depending on who, who wants to uh, acquire his services. But um, Brighton fans hoping that he will be here to stay. Question is, are Arsenal here to stay? Because I, I, I wanted to go back to that point I made earlier on about... Ooh, he's gone for the big collapse. He's gone for nuclear option here. They're not just not won the title. He was suggesting... They're going to spiral out of control and maybe no, get relegated. I, I, no, I'm, no, I'm not saying that. I said, are they here to stay in terms of challenging for the title? That's my oh, question. That's less interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I think a lot of Arsenal fans have reflected on it with a lot of positivity and they're getting very angry at anyone that would say, maybe not that they bottled it or they collapsed, because I can understand why they'd be angry with that, but saying, and I'm one of these people that they may have missed an opportunity that won't come round again for quite some time. And I think they're all kind of sitting here saying, no, 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 we'll be challenging for the title again next season. Are these the fans that left early or the ones that stayed? That I, I'm not sure. This? I'm not sure. It's all on okay. social media. But, um, <laughs> the yeah. real fans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think the idea that they... I, I, I think they've missed an opportunity here. That, And I, I find it hard to be harsh on them for that because they've, they've definitely exceeded all of my expectations. But... The only argument is, why would I say that the likes of Chelsea or Liverpool will be stronger or Manchester United will be stronger as an assumption, but I'm not assuming that Arsenal will be stronger and therefore if they're stronger and get more points than they got this year, that they will be, of course, once again in a title race. So I'm making assumptions about worse teams than Arsenal. But I think ultimately it doesn't come down to the players on the pitch, my viewpoint. It comes down to the kind of investment that goes into the other clubs. So I, I find it difficult to think that, you know, if Liverpool do sort out their midfield, they won't be a very, very strong team. That if Pochettino can streamline his squad, that Chelsea won't be a strong... There's still good players there, that they won't be a, a stronger team. Um, Manchester United, I, I, I don't know who the owner will be. You know, there might be huge investment. Whether that will make them a lot stronger, I don't know. But you imagine if Harry Kane's up front for Manchester United, they will be a stronger team. And although it's worked well for Arsenal shrewd uh, recruitment, young players, improving players, got the contract sorted that they need to be sorted. The manager clearly looks a great, great talent. I'm not saying that Arsenal won't be a top four team. I'm not saying that they won't win cups or be a very strong team. But I, 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 I can't see them overhauling Manchester City. But if someone said to me, who do you think will be the main title challengers to City next season? I, I don't think I would say Arsenal, I'd say Liverpool. I think it depends on, like you said, on the tr on the transfer window. If Harry Kane goes to Man United, I could definitely see them being being the biggest contender for Man City. But your first question, Hugh, 
was about w- why there has been this drop of form from Arsenal. And Alison was absolutely right. It's it's the lack of depth and it has led to almost a burnout, essentially, because they've so they've had thirty-three changes to their starting eleven. That's and that is the least of any team in the Premier League. The next, I think, is forty-eight changes, and so there is there is a huge reliance on a small number of players at Arsenal. They haven't had the other options to turn to. That's why they entered the market in January with Jorginho and Trossard, and it helped. It really, it it really did help. But I think they're going to need to do a bit more business than just Declan Rice this summer to remain at the levels that they are at. And also seeing the situation at the moment, seeing the the drop in form and that sense of a burnout, it worries me slightly that they could end up in a similar situation to Liverpool this year because I think Liverpool were more prepared they had more tools to go up against city and arsenal have overachieved massively and i and i don't know whether they can maintain it next season without more investment than just declan rice i don't think they've overachieved do you not no i think arsenal no so you but, expected this before the season, did you? No, but well. th- but now they're dropping away. They've got they've got twelve points more than last season. That, that's four wins. It's like it's it's a jump, but it's not the jump that we thought it was going to be. So, like you know, it could be, it could be fifteen, it could be eighteen. That mm, that is mm-hmm, a bigger jump. Mm. But I, I think the depth thing is one issue. But I don't think what it did was contribute to a burnout. I think it it skewed them psychologically. They knew that if they don't have Saliba, this next step is a big drop. They probably knew that about Jesus and Nketiah, but they kind of got their way through. And Trossard was a big, mm. big kind of influence in that. A couple of, you know, January, Jorginho as well coming in. Party was missing. Um, I think it's been in the mind. I mean, like this was always they were always like the upstarts, and it and they were riding the crest of a wave, and then it gets serious. Yeah, it gets serious. And from March sixteenth, they were out of Europe. That's two months ago, and. They had nothing else except the Premier League to, to focus on, which was a stark contrast to Manchester City and their form. They've won four games out of nine since then, and so like it's not. I'm not going to say they've bottled it because it's not. I, I hate that term, and I, I know everyone reaches for it, but they've been found wanting when the pressure really arrived. Because what was a always a possibility, a maybe, became reality. It was like we can do this, mm. and that's when they were found wanting. So like. There's no guarantees. I mean, who knows about next season? They, I, I think what they are now is a kind of, as much as anyone can be. We've seen what's happened to Liverpool this year. They're an established uh, force competing for the, the top four. Beyond that, there's, there's nothing else. There's just City. I think that all, we know what, what to expect from Arsenal in a way next season in terms of uh, aspirations. Like we, they're, in, they're going to be in the Champions League. I think people would say they need to get out of the group, obviously. like That's the first target there. Obviously, playing against tougher opposition in Europe, the cups they didn't feature in this year. Now, if they're a team that's as good as what we've seen in the Premier League, they're going to need to be much stronger 
in the cup competitions and then you'd still say they have to go and challenge for the top four if not certainly be in it so we, we kind of know there's going to be a lot more on their plate next season so the question is really what they need I know my one of my Arsenal mates messaged me saying we need five players this morning um, and they I was really need numbers they need mm. numbers because they're competing on so many more fronts and Champions League is a different like they, they changed the team when it was the Europa League you don't yeah. take it quite seriously until the later stages now they will so that will affect their Premier League form energy at least so they need numbers actually and like clearly they need to improve in certain areas they need a centre half who's going to come and be like impactful in the starting 11 your best start 11 they need another midfielder it's the same um, and be around that I think they need they need they need numbers and depth I understand you looking at it mathematically 12 points is better than last year but being being at the top of the Premier League until April, maintaining that challenge to City until yeah, until almost the finish line. Of course. That's an overachievement. It was hugely unexpected, yeah. Okay. Can, that, that have, was, can one Okay, I acknowledge that. But when you come to look at the cold hard numbers at the end of the season, we'll see that there's still a gap. Basically, the reason that you're saying they, they aren't overachieved because although they showed us a different level of football, they didn't show us a different character. In Arsenal, they a did. Lot of, a, they did. No, but they didn't. They did. Until a, how the last... many people in this country said, "Don't worry, Arsenal." In the end, when the pressure comes on, they will fail, like they did last year in terms of the the hunt for the Champions League. And to be honest, it came true. You can't say it didn't. Yeah, but they... you know, it's not like they lost all the games against big teams or the best teams in the league. They drew matches against teams fighting relegation from two goals up or two goals down into at home to the team that was relegated first yeah but Tom's right Tom's right what we saw before then is was new so like we have seen a change in character it's just it's not been enough because no, what you what we, we, we keep have to underlining what we, they're competing against is like unprecedented mm. like we, you know the city juggernaut people doubted whether it was going to come it always comes every year after after new year it comes and what they what they're doing is has like never been seen before in the Premier League. So in a, in a in a word, will Arsenal continue to be challenges for the Premier League title after this season? Obviously, there are big ifs, in, and mainly to do with recruitment in the summer. Yeah, right wasn't now, really committed, was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very hearted. Uh, right now, yes, yeah, I'd say yes. Yeah. But it, it, the transfer window makes a huge difference. I know, I know, yeah. I, I know. I know none of us can tell the future, Tom, but I just thought it'd be an in- interesting to see how it's you feel about predicting these things. Because I, I, I don't feel like they'll challenge for the title next season, and I know a lot of people say, "Well, oh, we've been brilliant, this, that, and the other." But I just, like I say, I think there's going to be a lot more on their plate. But I also think what they mm-hmm. showed us this year, like I said, they're going to have to go up, not in terms of quality, but in terms of character. Like I know there are young players in that in that squad. If they're going to challenge for the league again, they need to mature quickly. Arteta, by the way, needs to change as well. You know, he didn't. She didn't change major things in games that weren't going their way, and ultimately, he has to learn from that as well. He needs a little bit more composure too, I think. Yeah, because I think probably it's reflected in the team. We look at so many the goals they they've conceded recently have been like panicked, look like frenzied. We're in a state of frenzy, and he's sometimes like on the touchline. So, look, that obviously everything he's done has been incredible, and we've seen in the documentary that his methods are inspiring them. But perhaps. In the kind of heat of the <laughs> of the battle, he needs to tone it down a little bit. Well, his favourite phrase of the season, I mean, all season long and last season as well, was uh, the need to look in the mirror. He says that an awful lot. 
And if he does that properly, then they might just be in with a chance to have another go at it because he does strike me as someone who would do it honestly and get a lot of help analysing exactly where they went wrong and using the experience of being so close. That's the key, isn't it? I mean, that's what Klopp was so good at, was using disappointment to fire you on to success. Don't feel drained by the fact you came so close and failed. Use that as the motivation to do it better next time, which sounds easy, but it's really hard to do because human nature is that you just think, well, for goodness sake, we gave it everything and we didn't we didn't win. And then you feel dreadful and it, you don't expect to grow from it. Arteta, I think, probably has the intelligence to know if they've failed this season but come close and been top of the table for so long. I mean, this is the thing. They they have... That's a fact, isn't it? They were top of the table for a long time. They they need... If you can take that, if you can bottle that, analyse that to death, then you sh- and and get the investment over the summer, you should... You sh- really should be able to challenge again because... That's what that's what they didn't have this season was the ability to know what it felt like to be chased and hunted down. And now they know they, they should be able to, to use that to good effect, I think. The, the problem they're going to have next season is that it's going to be a totally different prospect in terms of their seeding for the Champions League means they're probably going to have a tough group. And they didn't... Europe wasn't quite the distraction this year that I think it will be next year I've got to say top teams big clubs like Arsenal when they're in the the, the fourth pot usually they're fine just turns out that way don't know why uh, what do you think Alison very finally on this about Arsenal challenging you, you're saying yes I'm just giving you my answer no but in, in a word <laughs> I'm, I'm a very simple man well, chal- well challenging is is a loose enough term to say yes alright thanks um, <laughs> my personal view is like I said I don't think so but huge caveat if they get Declan Rice I think it would be a transformative signing honestly in terms of character in terms of his ability to help stop other teams scoring goals and, and he's brilliant so if the rumours are true and he's number one target and the player they're likely to get and he's happy to go to Arsenal then I'd say absolutely yes they will be challenging for the title next season I was at Brentford yesterday and he was rested Declan Rice but he came off the bench and it was it was almost comical that the, the impact he had straight away he, he just he started pressing and being quite manic and intense so all his teammates sort of copied him and, and what was a, a soporific dreadful performance became just briefly for about 10 minutes a, a, a positive one because simply because of his presence on the pitch and if you if you doubted the hype around Declan Rice, you just needed to see those ten minutes to see the effect he has on on a whole team. Mm. It's it's like they 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 he's a leader and they do what he does. So he would be, I think he'd slot into a bigger club very easily. And he's English. 120 million. <laughs> that's what I say. Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right, let's move on. Leeds United. Um, I'm actually going down the league, so this may seem like a jump, but obviously they were playing Newcastle, ended in a draw. Um, I think Leeds gave themselves a big chance of staying up. Certainly the performance over the last two games, in my mind, against Manchester City, losing by just a goal, and then coming from behind, battling to a point at Ellen Road, was another important performance, who knows, just to carry into their final couple of games. Uh, Three penalties, a red card in this game. Big Sam has found something. Not a lot, but something, in my opinion. Do you agree, Gregor? I don't, I don't know. I mean, watching the kind of analysis of this, you see, seeing, oh, look, they're, they're, they're running, showing loads of energy, pressing. Like, well, when have Leeds not done that? It's like, it's controlling it that's the important thing. And, like, I don't know. I mean, Martin Hardy wrote about wrote in, the, in today's times that playing cock in midfields kind of gave them, seemed to give them a little bit more sort of protection but they've still got defenders who like need clown music played over the yeah. top of them sometimes <laughs> like Junior Fearpool just fell over Wober swung it fresh air and then landed in, uh, on Isak uh, for the penalty um, Fearpool's like I mean it's a, it's a big boost that he's suspended he's he's calamitous <laughs> defensively defensively he had a nightmare he had an absolute nightmare but to he, be honest. But, yeah it can, it can give something going forward, but when you need some sort of some semblance of re- reliability at, at the back when you're in a relegation battle, he's not someone to have in your team. Uh, but the problem is, you can say that about a lot of Leeds defenders. So, yeah. but you know, I watched this and thought, yeah, you've seen, you've seen energy, you've seen fight, you've seen willingness, you've seen seen drive. Great, but you're also seeing them find new ways to concede yeah. goals. He, he, he needed to is, give them composure. He hasn't given them that. I, I don't think he can. I think he knows that. He said, like, we need to see improvement. Even after the last last game, he's like, we need to see another 5% improvement or else we're in trouble. Like, I don't think he can see that. It's just going to be... like It's going to come down to can they score more goals than they let in. I know that sounds really basic, but they are capable of scoring goals, but they're undoubtedly going to throw them in. So like, they need Patrick Bamford not to miss a penalty. They need him to take a chance when it presents itself and that's just going to be in moments so it's really fine margins for Leeds now and that was an ugly the, the the situation with Bamford where he was abused and the threats towards his family isn't isn't quite going to put him in the mood for doing that in the final games of the season and yet having said that looking at the teams at the bottom and the the fixtures that they've got I actually think Leeds should be in theory best Who's it got? Set. 
Well, they've got West Ham next, who are who are safe and are potentially should as well be uh, concentrating on the Europa Conference League final. They, the rest, sa- they rested everyone against Brentford. Exactly. They, weren't, they yeah. weren't thinking about the that, league at all. That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> you know, what seeing that yesterday, uh, that that is a team focused entirely and a manager focused entirely on winning a trophy. So Leach, I can see Leeds winning that. And then the final game at home is is Tottenham, whose so season is unravelling yeah, yeah. extremely quickly. And it's at home. And I do think... Ellen Road will, mm. will make a huge difference. So, and won't Spurs be trying to avoid the Europa Conference League by that point? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I don't, uh, yes. I, don't, I don't think they will if you listen to Harry Kane because obviously they're in it. It represents an opportunity to win a trophy, which they haven't done for a while. So they, they don't would, they know would how re- to win a trophy. They would no matter what it's called. <laughs> I do think um, there are so many issues with Leeds United that. I, I, I don't know. I, I, when Pat Bamford st- stood up to take the penalty, I was like, "He's not scoring." So I said that as not, well. Not in a million Everyone years. Said that. And I was kind of like, "Do they not? Can't, do they not get themselves?" I get it. It, it. Bamford taking that penalty was like, "Our striker hasn't scored for fifteen games, and he's 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 a bit down." Let's give him a pen. It wasn't like we're in, you know, mortal risk of being relegated, and we need to make sure this hits the back of the net because you. In that situation, he's just—he's not the guy right now. I'm not even going to say he's a bad player. Like he's just not in the mindset right now to be taking pressure penalties like that. And I know people. So say, who do you think decided he would take the penalty then? Well, is he the penalty taker? If he's the no, penalty but they've taker, got a then, new. Well, no, but they've got a no, new—they've got a new manager who's come in to make, you know, marginal gains. Mm. And one of those marginal gains is you get a penalty. You've worked out who's going to take it, and look at what's happened in the past and. Allardyce said of Robert Cock, you know, he's he's got all the football now. He's made him sound like the main man. Surely you make him just just whack it in, you know. Well, he might be doing the same to Bamford, you know, saying I'm putting my trust and faith in you. That includes taking the penalties. It's maybe a mistake. Also, re- recognise when I'm watching this that Carl Robinson had him at MK Dons. It was like when he went out, out on loan from Chelsea. They're, they're, I think what they will be trying to do is give him as much confidence as they as as yeah, they can possibly yeah. can because they need him. They need him to score some goals. Like there's no one but, else. But that's what I mean. It struck me as we need to give the striker some confidence, giving the ball. I'm like, not now, guys. This is not the. They, they score that penalty. They go two nil up, and I think they win that game. And I immediately thought Harrison was going to take it. Jack Harrison was going to take it. I just thought for mentality, for confidence in their team at the moment, he's kind of right up there. And I'd be really confident that he was going to score it. And you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but I just couldn't believe Bamford was taking it. And when he missed, it was, no one was shocked. I don't know if anyone in the stadium, outside the stadium, watching on TV, whatever it might be, was surprised that Bamford didn't score. He's just It's just not going for him at the moment. So I thought that was a poor decision and didn't really read the room in terms of the situation that they're in at the moment. But coming from behind to equalise, showing a little bit of something against a good Newcastle side, I thought was hugely positive for Leeds. Yeah, yeah, I think I think Gregor was right in the t- in terms of the they what Allardyce has to do in these in these final days before the end of the season is sort out that defence because I think if if you can do that if you can get them structured then I think they have enough quality at the top end of the pitch to 
to get through and to survive. But um, and just sticking on Bamford, I think that was that was his fourth penalty miss yes. for Leeds. Yeah. I mean, again, again, it just backs up your point, Hugh, that it wasn't the right decision. It wasn't the right time for him to to take it. Had he been banging in goals every week, I wouldn't have minded it. I would have said, confident player, you know, really happy in front of goal. As you pointed out a little bit earlier on, he's not enjoying his time in football generally at the moment. I just didn't see that it was the right decision. He's been, he's found it hard. He's missed some big chances. You've you got to give it to a player who's, I think, in a different mindset than, than Bamford is at the moment. But there you go. I do want to look ahead to Thursday very quickly because it's a massive game. Newcastle against Brighton. Um, Newcastle obviously will be pretty gutted to not win against Leeds United but I still think it's what eight wins out of the last ten they're at home against Brighton um, on Thursday night but if you look at the table um, there's a a decent gap between them really it's more about Brighton's chances of getting into the Europa League this is their game in hand Uh, Newcastle United on 66 points their third Uh, Brighton down in sixth at the moment 58 points so a decent gap eight points but this as I say the game in hand so what do we think? This I, I I'm going to this game, and I'm abso- well. Lucky you! It's going to be a cracker, delighted. isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be a brilliant game, I think, and it's very hard to gauge where it goes. Newcastle, Newcastle don't lose, then they're okay, I think, because you've got to look from Newcastle's point as well. Yeah, I mean, if they do lose, then it's squeaky bum time. <laughs> Depends what happens tonight for Leicester and Liverpool. Obviously, if Liverpool win that match, then yeah, big pressure big on. Pressure on, yeah, yeah. That's just a big game for both, obviously, um, and quite you know it'd be an intriguing one as well because the way Newcastle of Newcastle's biggest strength has been like their energy at the top of the pitch in terms of like the way they press and uh, you know all go together in little little clusters um, and Brighton are, but they're obviously they're not daft to know that the way that Brighton plays so they might have to slightly alter the their approach so that'll be an intriguing tactical battle as well. I, I think part of the reason we're all saying it's going to be such a good game is because they are, they are the the two. In a way, they're two, the two teams of the season, the, the two unexpected <laughs> teams of the season. <laughs> unexpected, exciting. I think so. I agree What's, with you, Tom. Yeah. I, I can't. You, need, you can't call. You, you can't call a sports <laughs> washing project. Uh, Great thing of the season. No, I'm I'm talking about the way they play. I'm not. I, I don't mean Brighton are the team of the season. Yes, I mean okay, in the way good. they play. Yes, by quite a distance. Yeah, yeah. Over That's Newcastle. Why I don't want to get yes. too excited <laughs> about Man City either. <laughs> All right, it should be a great game. Uh, some of us looking forward to it more than others, clearly. But let's move on a little bit further down the table to another team trying to get into Europe, a bit like Brighton. See what I've done with a kind of order today. Aston Villa eighth at the moment. They. Beat Tottenham 2-1, sixth consecutive home league win. Moves them level on points with Spurs. Spurs 7th, 57 points in the table. Villa were 19th after losing four of their first five Premier League games this season. With two matches left, they're away at Liverpool, then at home to Brighton. Another Brighton tough game, like I mentioned. Um, They do have the chance of qualifying for Europe for the first time since the 2010-11 season. I kind of I, I look at the table and I keep thinking is it realistic isn't it for Villa I just can't tell at the moment are they playing well enough in your opinion to be getting into the Europa League conversation are we talking about a Europa Conference League team here will they have enough well they just it's it's it's, it's, it's yes it's yet another manager who's come in so he he's had to hit the ground running and 
you sort of feel if you'd been there the whole season, then you then you'd be saying, yeah, they they absolutely should be in Europe because it, when you analyse Villa, you're you're forgetting that the season started badly, and so it's it's been a lot of a lot of catch up, and it's almost as if they've had the odd blip, but of late, but Emery overall is another another manager who, who, who ought to win an accolade at the end of the season for how he's transformed the team with very little changing other than him and his approach to the team and getting that extra 10% out of every single individual. So it's it just seems slightly unfair that because they've had the occasional blip since he's taken over, they probably won't have enough to... They might make the Conference League, I suppose. But they... They do strike me because because of what we know about Emery. They are a team that ought to be in the Europa League, which is what he's very good at. And they, you know, if they were in it, you'd think, oh, I put money on them winning it. So it's just that he's had to play catch up. I'm not sure they will in the end make the Europa League, but if they did, it's it's it says a lot the fact we're even talking about it. And um, but if the, and if they did, he would be another manager who should be considered for manager yeah. of the season which yeah. which again the, the list is quite incredible because you think of the job that he's done you think of the job that Roberto Deserby's done uh, another one I thought recently is, is Gary O'Neill for the job mm. he's done. They're, they're, they've all come in and you haven't even mentioned season. my Manager of the year, which was Thomas Frank. Yeah, exactly. But but I just meant the three that had come in midway through the season. But how have it? I don't remember a season where so many coaches uh, could be the manager of the year, and and that might be partly to do with the fact that the teams who have that the big teams who have dropped off have allowed other teams to achieve fill the void. Yeah, Yeah. but it's also in stark contrast to the the cast of. Of me, of several who shouldn't be in Premier League dugouts. I keep saying it every week, like Frank Lampard, Dean Smith, mm. Ryan Mason. <laughs> Sorry, Stellini. Listeners couldn't see Gregor's expression. Gregor was angry when he said the word Ryan Mason. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 nah, nah, I don't want to be okay, but like, just that he was even like consi- considering saying that I want the job. Like, yeah. I can't believe the delusion. That some people can have, like what? But Christian Stellini being in there would have been exactly just it's the as same. Bad. It's the same. Yeah. And yeah. Anyway, there, there have been a lot of really, <laughs> really bad and sort of baffling Premier League but, managerial jobs or appointments, and then you know contrast it with, with, as Tom says, some brilliant ones. I do think the number of managers who've done it—it's not just overperforming in terms of the table. You know, the tactical now, the style mm. of football that most of the managers that you mentioned, the style of football, even Bournemouth, you know, and the different tactical ploys that the teams use to create advantages, whatever that it might be for their unique players. It's been brilliant to see, you know, it doesn't matter which team you pick out, there are some fantastic coaches and, on show. And bringing it back to Villa, the same is true of them. I mean, the way he's got the most from, from Ollie Watkins, the way that, look, in this game, they played with such a high line uh, that, like... I don't know how Spurs didn't do something with it, but yeah. because they did it so so well. But then yeah. there's been other games where they've played almost, if they've taken the lead, they've played almost like a back six, and and then two, uh, three banks of two in front of it. So it's flexible as well. But the main thing again underlining it all is like the energy and the way they hunt in packs, and when they go forward, it's really it's taking a direct sight of line, uh, line of sight to goal. 
Very quickly on Tottenham Hotspur, because even though we're talking about them possibly fighting for the Conference League, Europa League, whatever it might be, they are officially out of the running for the Champions League. Um, And this is going to be the third time in four seasons that Tottenham don't make the top four, which for me, you know, I think if they're a different club, maybe you batter them if they're Manchester United or someone like that. But for me, and I mean this with all due respect, this is Tottenham. And and the you could spin that stat as saying like well they've been they've obviously been subpar but actually I think if you reach the top four in your Spurs I do think that's a good season I think that's a great season you know because the years when Pochettino was there and the couple of years where they flirted with the with the title finished second finished third you know again football expectation changes so quickly and suddenly we were like oh they've got Harry Kane they've got Son like they they don't have any of the other elements to be really in the Champions League and. They didn't really have the elements to be challenging for the title before. They didn't have enough, and that's why they didn't win the league. They had a great coach. They had a great style of football. They had a fantastic defence. They didn't win the league because 1-11 to wasn't good enough. They got to a Champions League final. They didn't win that because 1-11 to wasn't good enough. That team has not improved. The coach clearly is not good enough at the moment. So many issues have been going on. So I don't want to hammer them for being out of the Champions League once again because... I don't think they're, you know, a bit like saying Arsenal weren't really in the mode to win the Premier League. I don't think Spurs were in the mode to finish top four this year. And I get it. You look at the number of wins they've had. I think they've had 17 wins and you're kind of still like, they could have done better. I mean, they didn't play that well. They won 17 games. But I think there have been big issues there throughout the season. The question is really, with the missing out on the Champions League, where does it leave the club? What is reasonable expectation? The latest news on the manager is Julian Nagelsmann out of the running completely. I think we're into the sixth week of a search for a new manager at Spurs. You know, uh, where is the club? Where is the club right now? What do they need to do next? When they built the stadium, which was very expensive, they said they actually the club actually said this is a stadium built for Champions League football, and it's embarrassing if there's anything else being played there. I mean, it. I almost think that not making the Champions League is the least important thing for them just now. Like they need to get. A structure in place, <laughs> like they've lost, they've lost a manager, an interim manager, the sporting director. Uh, the atmosphere is, you know, borderline toxic at the club. Like you can put the season to bed, but what they need to do is now get a structure and a head coach, and you know, the fundamentals of a successful football club on in the football department. They have all all off the field. They need those things in place for next season. I don't think it matters whether they're in the whether they're in the Champions League or not because they even found the season when they were in the Champions League it was dispiriting. They didn't like there's more. They realised that there was more to to support in your team than watching them playing really conservative football against better teams than them in Europe. Yeah, the the, the manager is the biggest is the biggest decision they'll make this summer because the 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 chaos is in the fact they. They currently don't have a sporting director to hire one. But at the same time, Daniel Fab- Levy can do it. That's, like, yeah, yeah. This. But also, but but he no, you 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 laugh about it. But he did before. <laughs> exactly. He did. He was. He did. He brought in Fabio Paratici. It was. It wasn't. He didn't do a great deal for that club at all before Daniel Levy was running it. He brought in Mauricio Pochettino. He he led things and it was going extremely well during that period. There's no reason why they desperately need one now to, to sort them out. I agree on the structure, but I think at a club like Tottenham with 
the way it was before, it it, it needs a manager to 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 sort it out. I I, I think of Roberto De Zerbi, but I I think Alison's right. I don't think he gets on at all well with Daniel Levy. But if they get the right, that that is the key cog. So long as they sort that out, then it'll be. It'll be. It can no, be. But okay. we, no, but, but no, but history has proved that doesn't, that doesn't happen. One at a time, children. One <laughs> at a time. <laughs> Alison, Gregor, I'm someone. Just, <laughs> I'm just saying. Like we look at. There's like there's like a little brief spell where you thought Paratici might work when Romero was playing well and Kulusevski was playing well, yeah. but over a long period of time now, the recruitment has been a disaster. And so it's not just about the manager coming in because he's not going to do that. It's not the way modern football works. It's about like every successful club has a. But why are Brighton so successful now? Because they have people in key positions and when, when, they, when someone moves on, they know who's going to step up. Spurs don't have anyone in the key positions and they don't know who to fill them with. Like That's the fundamental issue for, for Tottenham. And that will help them hire a, the right head coach. It will help them have the right kind of, as Alison wrote about a few weeks ago, start to make the kind of change the culture of the place. That's what Spurs need to do. Put the season out of their mind. And focus on that. But what manager has the force of personality to change the culture? They've had two of the biggest egos in world football. It's not, there it's not on the manager. Who haven't to do been it. haven't been able to navigate the oddity that is. Spurs. Yeah, it's not on the manager to do it. That's my point. It's on Daniel Levy. And if you yeah, then, but you're, that, you're, then you're, you're asking physician heal thyself. He's not. He's not going to know have the self awareness to know that he needs to stop the rot because part of the rot is him. They're in trouble then. Yes. Well, I think he needs to revert back to his best appointment was Mauricio Pochettino, wasn't it? And I think there's too much water gone under the bridge. I don't mean to yeah. get. No, I don't mean to get him back. I just mean to revert back to Daniel Levy running the club in the way he used to run it. I think right. Spurs have taken another step, and their ambitions are higher now. Yeah, but that's what, what I'm saying is that their ambitions are definitely higher, but they're just going about it in the wrong way because they're they when he when he brought in. Pochettino, they were a, they were a Champions League side then, weren't they? When when Pochettino came in, but he brought someone who was progressive, who was going to take, who was who was going to grow with them, and then when Pochettino went, it was hiring people who who had done, who had achieved things, won trophies that they wanted to do. Well, that's a good that's that is a good point though. They need they need somebody who. Who wants to go on a journey with them? Not who's almost feels like they're doing a favour joining. If, if if Graham Potter hadn't have gone to Chelsea this summer, yeah, he would be he would be the perfect appointment. I'd still say they should get Potter, in my opinion. I don't see any reason why not. Just go back and get him. But I I, I think they're waiting for basically, you know, all the other cards to fall into the place with bigger clubs than them. To see who's left and see if they can get. <laughs> I, I genuinely think because what are they waiting for? What, 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 why is it taking six weeks? Look how many great managers were out of a job. So if they haven't appointed someone in six weeks, they must be waiting to see where all the others are going to end up and see who might... Because no one wants to be this... Like, no one wants the money, no? Well, all right. Well, someone will do it eventually, <laughs> I guess. Another club who's in need of a new manager. We're getting closer. Almost there, right, Tom Roddy? Chelsea, Mauricio Pochettino, just about done. Is that right? Yeah, well just needs the signature essentially <laughs> it's all it's all agreed um i think i think it's the it's been the right 
it's the right outcome from the beginning because I think he fits. He really fits what they need. And I think it's going to be a different situation to what Graham Potter inherited. Um, I think he will have a lot more control than Graham Potter did. And he's it, it, he's been quite smart in a way because you don't you don't come into this team for the final games of the season because because that could have easily happened you you let <laughs> you let Frank Lampard take that hit and that's a and that's a big hit and take over in the summer but he's got a huge task ahead of him this summer because you've got to find a striker that's going to work for you, which could be Romelu Lukaku coming back from Inter Milan. I don't see why, given the the type of manager Mauricio Pochettino is, I think that could work mm. with Lukaku. I think he could get him get him going. It's I'm, I'm not convinced right now that Lukaku is interested in coming back to Chelsea. I think that that relationship has been soured, or that memory. Um, has been soured so much that I don't think he'd want to. But you've got Mason Mount's future. Uh, Enzo, you've got to build the team around player like Enzo Fernandez, who's the most expensive player in British history. But developing young players is what Pochettino is best known for. So that that's that's the big thing for him to focus on this summer is working out who. Who sticks around? Because the big problem has been that the size of that squad is so bloated, and trimming that, working out who who sticks around, and um, and and the benefit that he has is it can't get any worse. Surely <laughs> it can't get any worse. And Chelsea should should now should always be in the Champions League. And that would be, if they did manage to get top four next season, I think it would be seen as a huge success. Yeah. Oh, yeah, having having all those free nights with no European mm. football in them. He can do all sorts of parties. He can do <laughs> <laughs> lots Lot, of bonding Lots of bonding trips. going on, yes. yes, with Michel Pochettino and his squad next year. He needs to trim it significantly, it has to be said. Uh, Three-year deal. Um, we expect him to sign. Uh, he will take charge at the end of the season that's right so Frank Lampard will still be in charge for the rest of the campaign which will be painful to the ears of Chelsea fans <laughs> after the weekend uh, Nottingham Forest getting a tro- two-all draw it's weird isn't it you look through Forest fixtures and their terrible away form and everyone went they'll probably get something at Chelsea though yep. that's how bad <laughs> Chelsea have been so far this season and it turned out to be the case Taiwo Awanyi scoring twice as well ending a run of seven straight league away defeats for Steve Cooper's side three points above third bottom Leeds United with two games remaining so incredibly tight but a three point buffer actually might, it feels like a big margin at this point in time because you can't see Leeds winning a game It'd have to be something special, but there you go. Uh, Forest have taken seven points from their last four games within touching distance of staying up, if you like. How big a point was it for your old side, Gregor? Huge, but I mean, I wouldn't be too quick about that because their goal difference is worse than Leeds. So it could come down to goal difference. Um, but it was massive, yeah. And it, also, I want you finding his goal scoring boots finally is massive. Like, they look like they have a focal point when they put, put, the, put the ball in the box. Um in this game and away at Liverpool when I was at that game the you know eyebrows were raised when they left out Brennan Johnson is one of the best players but 
you're kind of just gone away from home, a bit more slidy in the middle of the park, and a focal point up front. And he's been really good actually. So, um, yeah, huge, but still on a knife edge. I yeah. don't. I, I, it's still absolutely possible that they go there. He was. He was. He was brilliant actually, and and he would probably be the reason that they stay up because it's not just it wasn't just the goals it was his hold up play it was everything. It was the same against Liverpool he was he bullied Konati uh, mm. bullied him yeah and you know that's that's a huge huge kind of bonus when you're playing away from home you can throw the ball up to him and it sticks and then get someone like Ibs White in support and there's so. I think he was. There's an irony that he was the first signing of the '72 or however <laughs> they brought in this season, and and could end up coming good right at the very end and keeping them alive. That it's one of those bizarre situations at the end of the season where you would think Arsenal, Nottingham Forest is a is a is an easy win for a for Arsenal, but with this. <sighs> With the season already, with the title already gone for them, now I, I, that is a that is a bit massive chance for for Forest if their motivation is entirely gone. But Palace away, in the Palace last game. away on the last game of the season, yeah. it doesn't feel. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be. I'm not sure yeah, about I wouldn't them. Be totally yeah. confident yet. I'm hoping Palace are on the beach already booking their flights at this Just point. Just front in time. three don't look like they are. No, Zaha has pulled his hammy, I think, hasn't he? Yeah. But, yeah. 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 But, but they goodness. still look bloody good going forward, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah. But it is weird that, to me, Forest have only just started to look like a proper team rather than a collection. The yeah, of they had a good run in the middle of the season. I know they did. I know they did. Just to me, this is the point at which they've started to look like they're a team. I, you, you, they look like they understand each other. There are little triangles. There are. There's understanding. There's camaraderie. It look, they look like a team as opposed to Steve Cooper having to. Pretend they are. It's like twice in the season, <laughs> after the mad influx of players, mm. the time that he had on the training ground, it started to bear fruit. And you see, as Alison says, you do see relationships and you see them settle upon a, a shape that offers them a bit more protection defensively and gives them a threat on the counter. And then in January, another influx of players came, kind of looked like it upset the apple cart, there were some injuries. And then that's, that's why it's so touch and go. I think if it hadn't been for that and had a bit more with the green with injuries they could have been safe by now I've really enjoyed um, Frank Lampard turning into one of his memes over the course of his time in charge because he was basically all positive at the start with a smile on his face saying we just need to get back to a bit of confidence last week it was unacceptable for a Chelsea shirt now he started to blame the players a little bit as well the no but seriously moment has come in and yes <laughs> seriously Chelsea just aren't that good to be honest but um, I, I loved it where he just came out this weekend and was basically like you know the players need to take a look at themselves I was like oh Frank's shifting the blame now is he uh, he's got a you know reputation protection needs to come in at some point in time he's reached that point so that was a, I guess an interesting side note from the game but um, finally on the podcast I've left it late obviously because I think we felt it was coming for some time but we need to talk about Southampton their 11 years stay in the Premier League ended in pretty tame fashion uh, relegated with a defeat at home by Fulham the Prime Minister was there Rishi Sunak was there watching over their demise as sport imitated life in many ways anyway Southampton uh, collecting just three points from the last 33 available 
and basically that was it. Much of the damage done long before that run as well. Southampton slipped into the relegation zone on the 6th of November after a 4-1 defeat to Newcastle and they have stayed in the bottom three ever since. You remember earlier on in the season they sacked Ralph Hasenhutl a day after that defeat, subsequently appointed Nathan Jones, which we all know didn't go very, very well and then put Ruben Seles, one of the coaching team, in charge for the rest of the season. My first question on Southampton, a bit like Arsenal, overarching, what do we feel has cost Southampton through the course of this season? Oh my goodness, just terrible, terrible, terrible takeover. New owners made it clear very quickly, like off the record to everybody, that they didn't like Ralph. And so Hassan Hootel was in the job too long, knowing they didn't really want him there. Uh, and it was mainly player power. A few play- he, he fell out with a few players, and what often happens with owners is they want to be on the you know they they, they want to get on with the players more, and so you had this strange. I mean, it was very peculiar for everyone in the world to know that Hassan Hutel would get the sack eventually. That's not how you run an organisation. You get rid of him straight away, or you give him proper backing. So there was this sort of twilight zone that didn't do them any good, and then. Um, but if you look at his Hassan Hootel's points tally compared to the people that came in after him, he was he was, he was twice as good. Mm. So they got rid of someone who was adequate to keep them in the Premier League for two managers who had no experience whatsoever of the Premier League, and their points tallies were uh, uh, well so poor that 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 the, the relegation became inevitable. So it's it's poor. Uh, Knowledge from above, it's poor uh, insight. It's not being able. It's 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 believing that you're a puppeteer and you can organise a club better than it has been. And maybe you need that sense of arrogance if you go in to a new organisation. But I just it's, it's lots and lots and lots of small reasons. But the biggest reason was that they got rid of the manager that would have kept them in the division. There, there was a, I, I I agree with Alison, but there was a there was a theory for a long time with Hassan Hootel that it was it was running out it was running its course um, with him so it wasn't I don't think it was a huge surprise at the time when he went um, the surprise was that he didn't go earlier yeah that's, my, that's my point you either get rid of him straight away because I mean, it, it was just badly done mm. but I think and an, another I think another key reason to why they've gone down is the is the investment in players. Um, I just don't think they they brought they brought players with a lot of potential like yeah. Romeo Lavia, who's fantastic talent and will be a former uh, Southampton player in a few weeks. Yeah, yes, <laughs> will be snapped up and and will probably be has the potential to be an elite player and play for one of those top cl- six clubs yeah. you've seen it in um, you've seen it in moments this Probably season probably seen for Bridge soon <laughs> yes yeah, yes, yeah um, yeah there's yeah <laughs> um, but they've just bought they bought too young they bought too inexperienced and you, you can't do that when you're in that position at the table and, and um, the thing as well is Martin Samuel wrote about it a few weeks ago that Southampton are a little bit of a warning to teams like Brighton in in selling off too many players, going too far with it, and and you you run out of 
you run out of that that recruitment. They believed talent. they believed in in magic in the end in, mm. at Southampton mm. because there was a period when they were the model. Like people were gushing mm. about them the way we've been gushing about Brighton mm. for slightly different reasons. They never they never hit the heights in terms of entertainment. But, but they were so well, they had this. They were the first club in the Premier League to have analysis so that they would know in advance we're going to need a new left back. Say, but we, they'll go. They'd go through all the people who could players that could possibly fit that role in the club, right down to the you know youth level. And if they figured it was going to take too long for one of those to be groomed for the role when they felt they were going to lose their left back, mm. then they would apply the um, statistics to good value across Europe and the rest of the world. So they were, they were, they. That's what most clubs do now, but they were the first to do it to, 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 as a model that would make them money and mean they were never like people would say, "Oh, you know, are you, are you a bit worried about that player being injured?" No, because we've got it all sorted out, and that's what that's what teams like. Brentford and Brighton do is they plan for but this is an age ago yes exactly but they they believed in it as being a magic thing and never never realised well the world's caught up with you now that isn't that isn't going to be enough that isn't going to be enough they lost the key staff they lost the key backroom staff Uh, the top guy went to Spurs I think because Pochettino took him They, they, they they just sort of figured they'd had it so it would carry on you need to keep on top of those sorts of analysis to make it count, and they didn't. It sort of became a cobwebby state of affairs as opposed to state of the art. Uh, clearly, they kind of they were in a in a state of decline before the takeover, but the takeover is the thing that that means they're why they're relegated. They're, they're under new ownership now. It's like you can talk about clubs, you know, the reality of the Premier League catching up with the clubs, but you can only do that if it's like you're talking about Leicester because they're owned by the same people who. Under whom they won the Premier League, mm-hmm. like there was, there have new owners now, and one of them is, you know, Rasmus Ankersen, mm-hmm. who, who, like, has written books about how to crack the secrets of high performance. He, I was reading a piece the other day, where he was saying like, there's a theory where because he was a co-director with Phil Giles at Brentford, he'd rein him in. There's no one to rein him in. I don't think. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like he has these. He sees his way of running a football club, and it's heavily data data influenced. That's why we saw them sign a bunch of kids and no one with experience. Like even at Brentford, even like it took a while before they, they signed Pontus Janssen. Yeah, they, we were always saying they, they they need to add something else here, and like I doubt I doubt that would have come from Rasmus Ankersen. Yeah. So he has he has ideas about how to shake up the system and and do things differently, and it's backfired. It's like borderline and arrogance. Nine summer signings without a single Premier League. Appearance, and they added five more players who'd never played in the Premier League in January. I got to say, Sport Republic's an app name. They've guaranteed their independence from Premier League royalty. <laughs> oh, uh, I, like, I, like I like what they did there. <laughs> um, <laughs> tenuous. But we but, all sound like we're being argumentative with each other. It's all been a fact. Everything we've said is a factor. It's not one thing. For me, it's the takeover the, it was at the wrong time for the club with the wrong people. Yeah. The major factor, though, for me is that that they could have. Approach recruitment in a different way. You know, you, you, stats are one thing, character, personality is another thing, experience is a big thing, particularly if you're going to be in a relegation battle, because ultimately they were still going to be in the bottom five or six teams. So, where was the experience? You know, it, it was just madness. 
we said it at the start of the season. They're either going to be like the story of the season or they're definitely getting relegated. Well, it was inexperience leading inexperience in the end. Wasn't yeah. It? yeah. The question is, finally, can Southampton bounce back? Of course they can. You have to be really stupid not to be in the reckoning in the Championship when you've got a £42 million parachute payment and the average turnover is like... So there's a good chance that they won't then. <laughs> Based on everything that we've just said about inexperience, leading experience, I mean, etc. Come on, Watford are what Watford are Watford, and they were still in with a shout until yeah. half a dozen games to go in the season, and their fourth manager, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So like, no, I think they'll be they'll have a, a good chance because they'll be able to keep a hold of some of the young players because they've got no. They won't be earning huge money. Yeah, they'll yeah. be probably not of suitors, you know, willing to pay the same money that they, they paid for them. Uh, so keeping some of them, and hopefully. Having the nose to add a few people who've played yeah. in the championship before. The this, team needs a big change, though, doesn't it? Because it's gonna they, they they've been so reliant on Ward Prowse this year, and they're gonna they're gonna lose him, aren't they? So the team is, needs a change. Well, it'll have to be because there's other people like Bella Kotchup, who's mm. a Germany international. Walker at the Peters, Willie Stay, be a big turnover, I would imagine. Who would you get as manager? Nathan Jones. <laughs> that, do you know that I was would thinking, be a brilliant I, story. I, was, I was thinking about this this morning and I know Scott Parker went off to Belgium but I was kind of like because I'd seen I, I looked up in advance of the podcast I was like okay let's see what the rumours are about who might take over at Southampton and I, every article I read I was like they're not taking the Southampton job so Stephen Gerrard's not going to go to Southampton you know, some of the other names that were mentioned were just they're, they're, like Rafa Benitez. He's not going to go to Southampton. You know, like I was reading all these articles, and I, at the end of it, I didn't find one manager plausible. But then I thought, why hasn't Scott Parker been mentioned in all of that? Now, I, 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 people will know his personality more, and there'll be conversations in football about what he needs as a manager, and maybe he wants more than what Southampton can offer because he would want I imagine a team that's got a, a, a very good chance of going straight up given what he's done with his, his previous clubs but for me I'd, I'd, I'd be looking at someone like that I think I we could be surprised though I mean we were surprised by Nathan Jones Ole Gunnar Solskjaer <laughs> what? I was being serious it could, it could be someone we we least expect because that's what Rasmus Ankerson does maybe, do you, maybe he will be the man you asked, you asked the question, Tom. I thought you might. No, I don't. I, I don't. It's because I'm so puzzled as to who it who it could be. I don't think. Um, I think part of the reason. I don't think Scott Parker sees himself as a championship manager anymore. So I don't think that will happen. Um, I think that's the reason why his name isn't in the reckoning for it because he's been there, done that yeah. type thing. And I saw and tasted the championship. And I saw. I saw kind of the more a more reasonable one being Chris Wilder, but again. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. With a group of players that have come out of Man City's academy, you know, I just don't see how it how it fits with what he would want to I mean, do in the EFL. He doesn't like dealing with a, a director of football. Never mind Sport Republic. Yeah, for buying all the players and providing him with lots of kids. So no chance. It's going to be interesting because watching the EFL throughout the season and watching some of the exciting players that Southampton do have. You know, some of them will cope well in the championship and actually be quite an exciting team with the right coach if they can play a certain style of football. We saw Burnley kind of almost against the odds, breaking records almost um, in terms of the points total. So, you know, you, you you might see something similar if the recruitment goes well and in the championship level, what they did with the recruitment last summer, you know, they might look like geniuses by the end of next year. I've, I've like... I know Southampton fans won't want to hear this just now, but I wouldn't write this group off either. Like, 
No, I just personally don't think a lot of them will be there. That's no, my I'm point. Talking so about I'm not saying they're bad players. Oh, I see. Sorry. Like, we're, we're, we've been lambasting them here, but if you look down the list of players, there, there's a lot of good ones. And like... Uh, but they didn't read they the, situ- mi- but they no, didn't no, read exactly. the situation. They, they didn't did, read the they situation. Did. Hopefully have it's not that they it. signed bad players, but they, like I said, did they not realise that they were still going to be a bottom six club? And so you need a little bit more strength to your spine than players who've, yeah. you know, when I say no Premier League experiences, experience, half of the players that I'm talking about had no senior football experience. Yeah, You can't do that if you're going to be in a relegation battle. So Southampton are down and I will see you on the EFL highlights next season, Southampton fans. It will be enjoyable. Believe me, you're going to have a great season. But uh, commiserations for now. Thank you all for joining me. I've enjoyed it. Alison Rudd, Tom Roddy, Gregor Robertson, all of you for listening as well. It's Monday, so pick up a paper, check out the game. All the best uh, from the weekend. Another big game to come this evening in the Premier League between Liverpool and Leicester. If it goes to plan, we won't be talking about it on Thursday. If Leicester win, it's going to be top top billing. That's all I'm going to say. Come on, Leicester. Come on, Leicester. Anyway, uh, listen, check out the game online if you want to uh, subscribe to it. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. Check out the Times app as well. And we'll see you on Thursday. Take care. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.